Well, thank you, James. Y'all brought a Bible, say yes. And uh, I'd invite you to open with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10 this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke 10, verses 17 through 24 this morning, as we are talking on the subject, glory movement. You know, we talked about glory come down. Uh, The Bible teaches that the New Testament actually has the privilege of experiencing the glory of God. That is, to experience His works in our midst as we gather together to worship. But also as we look at a glory movement, our desire is that the good news of who Jesus Christ is would actually burst out of the four walls of the fellowship and into the communities. And so that's what we're praying for, a glory movement to be experienced. And that's what we also witness here in Luke's Gospel chapter 10. As the glory begins to move out into the cities and these missionaries that we've been studying about over the past several weeks uh, come back and talk about everything that has happened in the ministry. So Luke 10 beginning in verse 17. Stand with me in honor of God's word. And uh, you've got it there in front of you. Say amen. amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The Bible says that the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said that then I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. But hold, I have given you authority to read, or I'm sorry, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At the very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you are, have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see things which you see, and did not see them, and to hear things which you hear, and did not hear them. Let's bow together. Father, it's a great privilege once again to open up the Word and to preach here in this phenomenal church. Thank you for that uh, great opportunity. And I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength from heaven to declare the message that you desire for your people so that we can all grow up in maturity in our walk with you. Thank you for the opportunity to worship this morning freely to come in and to be able to lift up our voices to you, lift up our prayers to you and know that they're not bouncing off of a ceiling, but they are actually entering into heaven. And as the Bible teaches in Revelation, our prayers are bowls of incense in heaven's throne room. So God, as you smell our worship this morning, please be pleased. And Father, as well, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd speak to every single heart, move out uh, every aisle, and use your word to do what you so desire. We rest in you, and it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And uh, you can be seated. Well, about three years ago, God opened up a door for a new ministry uh, to be birthed in southern Ethiopia. It's a city called Agamarium. And Agamarium is a place uh, where there were about 300 pastors who would gather together to be trained. And so God opened up this door, and that's what we were doing over the past couple of weeks while we were in south Ethiopia. We were training these pastors. This was the last time uh, that I will have the opportunity to be with those specific pastors. Um, Unless the Lord wills otherwise, I probably will not see them again until I see them in heaven. But that'll be a pretty sweet day, y'all with me? And uh, I'll even be able to pronounce their names there. 
But anyway, so for three years, we've been investing in them. We've been teaching them biblical theology. We take them through uh, 10 books, uh, Bible Doctrine, New Testament Survey, Old Testament Survey, uh, how to preach from the Bible, uh, how to teach effectively, uh, how to pastor, all the way through church history, evangelism, missions. Man, we teach them all of this stuff and give them the materials in their own native tongue. And as a result of our time there, we had the opportunity to continue that school. And uh, I've got a few pictures I just want to show you from the trip. So if you can drop those up there, that would be phenomenal. This Sunday. God bless you. Yes, there we are. So this is a uh, picture of the train school, about 300 pastors. There's another group of pastors over to the left. You can't see them. But uh, this is where we did all of the training. Only one time was I with them training in a different area. But this is the main place where we train them. And they sit, I mean, right on those little benches. We start around 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we finish around 5 o'clock in the evening. And they sit there. And we've got a whole team that's with us. And they're out in villages doing medical missions, sports missions. And then we gather together as teachers in the school on those particular nights where they've been ministering all day. And then we preach the gospel, kind of have somewhat of a revival service. But these guys have spent uh, an enormous amount of time sitting and listening uh, to us teach. And you know how difficult it is for you to hear me preach for like 30 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll still see who nod their head. But anyway, so uh, they sat all day long and loved every minute of it, smiling ear to ear, digging what God was doing. And then check out the graduation photo. This is a picture of all of them coming in. And it was just a, a great, great side. And then there were many people in the context of our church who helped us collect tithes. That was actually birthed through our student ministry. And we gave tithes out uh, to all of the graduates. So every graduate got two tithes. We got so many tithes, we hooked them up with two. And I don't know, some of you may know this guy who has squatted down. He's not a member of our church anymore, but he used to be a member here. He's moved on to Powder Springs. That's John Clark. So John and Sue Clark, if any of you know them, they were actually with us. And uh, man, God used both of them mightily. Awesome time. Now, the reason I bring this up is because it fits perfect with what I'm preaching on this morning. Uh, we would look at that particular ministry and say it was a success. Had 300 people go through it. They're all trained. Uh, their churches are growing. God's using it. Uh, many people are coming to Christ in South Ethiopia. We even left a few people there. Uh, as we traveled back to Atlanta, uh, we left uh, some of our core team there so that they could travel up to North Ethiopia and see if God is going to open up another door for us to uh, plant a new training school for pastors. And so God willing, we'll be doing that uh, beginning next year and see about 100 pastors up there be trained. So it's going to be awesome. But it's just kind of a success. We would all Get around and we would rejoice and be fired up about what God was doing. We would talk about the people who are, uh, had the opportunity to receive medical help, talk about those who responded to the gospel, talk about opportunities where we had to share the gospel one-on-one -on -one with people. We would just brag, brag, brag on what was happening in the ministry. But you know, the question is, how should we respond whenever we experience success in ministry? Now look at me eyeball to eyeball because here's what you and I are aware of. Every follower of Jesus is involved in the ministry. So if you are a follower of Christ, you're a part of the ministry. Some of you are parents. Your ministry is your children. How do you respond when it is going extremely well? Some of you, you're involved. You're a Sunday school teacher, a grow group leader. You work in children's ministry, student ministry, whatever the case may be, but you serve in the life of the fellowship. How do you respond whenever you experience some type of success? That's what's occurring in our text this morning. Awesome how God lines all that up. Would you all agree with that? And so in Luke chapter 10, these missionaries, they've come back together, and Jesus is going to teach them how to respond when they experience ministry success. And I want to give you a couple of truths this morning that the Lord's laid on my heart. So here's the first one. Are you all ready? Say yes. 
first way to respond, uh, just remember, is that ministry success cannot be the source of our joy. Ministry success cannot be the source of our joy. So the 70, they were sent out in Luke's Gospel chapter 10. They were given a message, the kingdom of God is at hand. They were empowered to perform miracles which authenticated their message. They returned filled with excitement to report to Jesus all that had taken place. Look in your Bible again at verse 17. The Bible says the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And you can picture that, can't you? They all get together. They're sharing their experience. They've just returned from a mission trip, so to speak. And they talk about every single thing that they saw the Lord do. And as they shared one story after another story, their hearts will be overwhelmed with excitement, with happiness, and with joy. But why were they so happy? Well, they tell us. Because, as they say, even the demons were subject to us in your name. So the missionaries had experienced the power of the kingdom of God over the power of the kingdom of Satan. See, demonic spirits were brought under absolute control by the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus is a powerful name which holds great authority in the spiritual realm. Reminds me of some uh, movies that I've seen uh, in the past when a policeman would go up to a particular door and he would knock on the door and he would be like, open up, it's the police. And then the person inside the apartment or the house would go to the door and they would pull back the peephole and look through, but they would see a cop who's just dressed in normal clothes and they'd be like, show us your credentials. And then immediately they would pull out their uh, credentials and they would flash that badge to them and it'd be like, Claremont Police Department. <laughs> I don't know what y'all laughing at. LAPD, is that better? But anyway, so uh, they would show that badge and immediately the person behind would be like, oh, okay, well, they actually have the authority to tell me to open up the door. Doesn't matter how big the dude is inside the house. When the police knocks and he shows the credentials, he has to obey or else. Well, the badge of the New Testament believer is the name of Jesus Christ. So whenever these missionaries told the demons to get moving, they flashed the badge of Jesus Christ's name. And the demons were like, whatever you say, we will do. Demons want nothing to do with the power of the kingdom of God. And how many of you know this morning, there is great power in the name of Christ. You know, in fact, as believers, you and I are actually encouraged to pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, uh, 14 if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I like what Adrian Rogers writes concerning this. He says, quote, when we have Jesus' name legitimately behind our prayers, we're praying with kingdom authority. A prayer with Jesus' name behind it is like a bona fide purchase order that would be honored in heaven, end quote. See, we not only have authority in Jesus' name during the time of prayer, but according to this scripture, we also have the authority over the kingdom of darkness by the name of Jesus Christ. And the authority of God's kingdom was given to these missionaries and they were fired up because they were able to command demons to do what they wanted to do. Now, how did Jesus respond after hearing all of these stories? Well, Jesus recalls his great authority over Satan. Notice verse 18 in your Bible. He said to them, and I like this, he was like, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, did you know about this? This is awesome. Uh, this, this idea of demons, where they came from. Satan has not always been Satan as you and I know him. Satan is actually a fallen angel. Angels are not eternal. They were created beings of God. Psalm 148 states, praise him, all his angels. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. 
So while angels are not eternal, they were created immortal. They have no body, and thus they are not subject to death and decay. Norman Geisler, systematic theologian, writes concerning angels, saying this, they were created to glorify God, to serve God, to reflect God's attributes, to learn about God's wisdom and grace, and to minister to God's elect, end quote. You know, the Bible teaches that Satan, named Lucifer, was actually a created angel of God who, because angels have free will, chose to rebel against God. Isaiah 14 and 12 describes the event. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. Speaking specifically about the devil. Lucifer became prideful in his ministry and sought to be glorified above God the Father. He wanted to worship all to himself. Jesus, who is eternal, not a created being, because he is God, witnessed the Father's response to Lucifer's pride. God the Father, what did he do to Lucifer? He cast Lucifer down to the ground like lightning. And we see Lucifer in the Garden of Eden where he is cursed. And a promise is made to him by the Lord God that from the womb of a virgin, born from the seed of a woman, an individual would come who would crush the head of Satan. And just so you do know, that is the Lord Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He came, and the Bible teaches in the book of Colossians that he defeated the enemy on the cross. So Jesus indeed has already received victory over the enemy. And Jesus is recalling that. Now, it's pretty interesting when you study the fallen angels, you'll find in Revelation chapter 12 that Satan was not the only one who was cast down out of heaven like lightning. But also there were a third of the angels in heaven who were cast out of heaven because of their rebellion. Those fallen angels have become demonic spirits who are uh, systematized and organized so that they might stop the moving of the kingdom of God and the preaching and the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good news though, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So Jesus has won the victory and he's also given you and I the victory already. Now, Jesus came to earth at the predetermined time to defeat the works of the darkness. And Jesus' ability to, fit, to defeat the enemy was already being witnessed by the missionaries in Luke's Gospel chapter 10. His authority would continue through those who are linked with him by faith. So notice with me in your Bible, verse 19. Scripture says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. This is Jesus letting them know that they can continue to walk in the authority of Jesus' name as his missionaries. He says, I have given you that authority. Now, notice what he says. He's like, I've given you authority over serpents and scorpions. Now, what in the world does that mean? Here's what it does not mean. It does not mean we ought to get together and let a bunch of snakes loose and see who's really got faith in God. <laughs> Which is quite interesting because there are some churches in the mountains of this area that are doing that. Read an article recently about one old joker who was a pastor of those churches and the snake bit him and he died. <laughs> I mean, like, what are you doing, man? That's ridiculous, right? Don't test God. So what is the uh, scripture saying? Should we get serpents together and scorpions and let them loose in worship? That might make y'all come alive. I don't know, but what should we do? Well, here's the deal. Whenever Satan was cast down from heaven like lightning in the Garden of Eden, what did he come in the form of? A serpent. 
Now, whenever you look at scorpions, what do scorpions do? They sting you. But here's the phenomenal news. The Bible says that death has lost its sting. So here, whenever I look at the word serpent, I see a reflection of demonic spirits. When I look at the word scorpions, I see a reflection of death itself. And so the Bible says that you and I, as followers of Jesus, have authority to tread on demonic spirits in death. <laughs> Y'all don't hear that in Baptist churches, do you? But here's the deal. The word tread, it's an awesome word. It gives the same imagery that was used in the Old Testament as well as a little bit in the New Testament to tread the wine press. They had these massive bowls that were cut out, kind of had like, they looked like a big, huge donut made of stone. And they would throw grapes inside of it. Then they had a massive, huge stone wheel that they would put inside of the donut. And they would lead that wheel by the strength of a donkey around in a circle. And that stone would crush all of those grapes to help turn it into wine. And so that is the imagery. Jesus is like, you have authority to tread just like a wine press over the devil and death. Now what's wild is about the fact that you and I have that authority. In the name of Jesus, we have that authority. Now with all of this in mind, I want us to see that Jesus is issuing a warning to us who are involved in ministry. And all of us are involved in ministry as believers. So check it out, and I want you to see this parallel because this is awesome to me. We are really uh, challenged and encouraged to make sure that we don't get a big head when success comes in the ministry. If we become prideful and think we personally are the ones who have the authority over darkness, we run the risk of trying to be God ourselves. That happened before, the devil did it. And he was cast down. That's what Jesus is like. He's like, wait a minute now. I saw Satan cast down from heaven like lightning. We must be certain not to take credit for the mighty works of God or else. Our pride will lead to our ministry destruction. And you know, they tell us as preachers that we ought to uh, be on guard for two major things. They say women and money. And uh, I agree with those. I've seen pastors fall uh, because of sexual affairs. I've seen pastors fall because they had uh, money issues and they were stealing cash from the church which is about as smart as uh, letting scorpions loose in worship. Y'all all right? It's like, yeah, God sees that, man. Y'all still out there? That Advil's kicking in, baby. <laughs> but then we also have this concept, which I never heard, but I've added to the list, that it, those in ministry need to watch out for becoming big-headed and prideful. Because whenever we become big-headed, our shoulders can't hold it up. And the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So whenever you experience any kind of ministry success, be very careful not to take credit for that, or that success can fleet in just a moment. So see, that is a warning against pride. I remember... Uh, when I first began preaching, I would actually uh, peek through the door of the church to see how many people were in the church building before I came out. You know why I did that? Because I had a problem with pride. So I would look in there, and if the place was full, I'd be all fired up. The Lord's going to be with us today. But if I looked out there and there was empty seats, I'd be like, nobody likes me. They all, nobody's coming back to church. So I'd be a whiny honey on my way to the front row. Are y'all listening? Y'all ever heard that term before? You just did. It's a Greek word. <laughs> it's really not. But anyway, so I would uh, come in there. It's a problem with pride. And so I would actually allow the external 
influences of ministry to determine whether or not I would be joyful. Bad mistake. Jesus is warning them of this in the text. And it is awesome how he does this. Warning them, making sure that they don't allow the external circumstances to determine whether or not they are going to have joy. Because external circumstances are always up, they're always down. Just like at Concord, we may come in here on a service and it'd be full. We may come in here and it's not full. So how should we respond? You may go to Sunday school, your class is full, it's not full. You may go to your grow group, it's full, it's not full. Up and down, up and down, all kinds of stuff happening. How should you respond? Where should our joy come from? What should we be fired up about as people of God? That's my second point. Here it is. The source of our joy must be our relationship with the Lord. Now, I know that sounds elementary, but I want you to see how it comes alive in this text. Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, Jesus says. Don't rejoice in what? He says that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now, the concept here of not rejoicing is given to us in the present tense. Now, stick with me. Don't don't, uh, go to sleep on this because this is awesome. The present tense means that it is a continual action. And so whenever he says, uh, don't rejoice in this, what he's getting at is he's saying, don't keep on rejoicing over and over in this. Now, Jesus is not saying that we should not experience joy in the ministry. He's just saying, don't keep on rejoicing over and over in the fact that you have authority over the demons. Your success cannot be the source of your joy because it is fleeting. Instead, they should rejoice over and over in the fact that their names are recorded in heaven. Now, the word recorded in your Bible, you see that? Uh, It is a word that means that our names have been written and they stand written. It's the idea of something that has been inscribed without the possibility of removal. This is a statement of assurance. You know, the book of Revelation describes this book called the book of life. There, these missionaries' names and our names as faith followers of Jesus are inscribed in the book. To me, that's awesome. Uh, The reason that's awesome to me is because Jesus is saying, don't rejoice in ministry uh, success over and over and over. Don't let that be the source of your joy, but instead rejoice in the fact that your name has been written in heaven and nobody can erase it. It's a statement of assurance. Listen, that means you cannot lose your salvation. If God gave it to you as a gift, he's not going to take it back. You didn't earn it to begin with, therefore you can't lose it. And what's awesome about that, I'd agree with what one pastor said. If I could lose my salvation, I would. If it were up to me, I'd fumble it all over the field. But it ain't up to me. God gave it to me as a gift. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that my salvation is anchored to the throne of God. Who can get up there and remove the anchor from the throne of God? No one. Who has the power or the authority to touch the salvation that God has given you? No one. The Bible says, what can separate us from the love of God? Absolutely nothing. And so there are individuals, they're not real sure if they're saved. They think they're saved. They're always doubting their salvation. They think this, they think that. Well, I did this, so I must have lost my salvation. Well, I did this, so I must have earned it back. If you live that way, there's never any joy because everything is based on you. And you go up and down, up and down, but God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your name is written in heaven, man. Just get fired up about that and worship Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. That's the source of our joy. And when we see that as the source of our joy, because it is constant, our joy is constant. 
Are y'all hearing me preach? Y'all should let me know every once in a while. So here's what he's getting at. Don't keep on rejoicing over and over again that you have experienced success in ministry. Instead, keep on rejoicing in the fact that your names have been written and stand written in heaven for eternity. So the source of our continual joy as a believer is our relationship with God. This means that whether we experience success like the 70 or apparent failure like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who, by the way, preached 40 years, no converts. Even in that state, we can still have joy because we have a relationship with God. Joy is an inner peace that is not thwarted or determined by external circumstances. Paul the Apostle speaks of this joy in Philippians chapter four. He talks about his ministry. He says that there are times in his ministry where he was well taken care of. There were times in his ministry where he just didn't have anything. But listen to what he writes. I've learned the secret of being filled. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance, of suffering need. And then here is the application of the verse most of us know he says i can do all things through christ who strengthens me well what is he getting at here paul is saying regardless of what's going on around me inwardly i am content because of my relationship with christ his joy is not based upon external circumstances it's upon his relationship with god through the lord jesus so think about the ministry you're a part of for just a moment. It could be women's ministry, men's ministry, deacon ministry. What brings you joy in that ministry? Uh, plenty of volunteers, plenty of people showing up, plenty of salvations occurring, plenty of disciples being made, the right leader in place. Does that bring you continual joy? Or is your joy never changing because the source of your joy is never changing? The source of our joy is God And when the source of our joy is God, we have strength to do ministry. Because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our Are y'all listening to the So you want joy that uh, never runs out? Hey, just, just, just focus on the fact that your name's written in heaven. And you know God. And God sends an ever-flowing stream of joy to the soul of the believer who is set upon him. Some of you aren't experiencing that, but you're a believer, but you're not experiencing it. It's called you've taken your eyes off the ball. Taking your eyes off of what actually gives you joy in life. It's just like David. He took his eyes off the ball, committed adultery, but then he comes back in Psalm 51 and he says, Oh Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He had lost the joy. Some of you, you've lost the joy. You used to be so fired up when you got saved. Somewhere along the line, something happened. There's no joy anymore. I'm, I'm just telling you and encouraging you based upon the authority of Scripture. Go back to your relationship with God. And that's where joy comes. You know, I uh, talked with one joker after the service, um, first service in the foyer. I, don't, I can't remember his name. He's been visiting our church, but he comes up with tears in his eyes and he says more or less um, that he's excited to be in church again. So that's great, but the question is, have you given your heart to Jesus? He says, I, he says, I sure have, but uh, man, I have been backsliding so far that I need to come back. Hey, here's the deal, just, just sharing with him, uh, shaking his hand. Great news for you, man. You can come back prodigal son came back and the father wasn't pointing a finger he was holding out open arms 
And some of you have lost your joy. You've backslidden. I don't even know if I like that term, but you've backslidden. And you're like, man, there's no joy anymore. Man, I, I've been living this sinful life as a believer, and I'm just, I'm just drugged down. Come on back. You can come. You couldn't get to Christ based upon your merit to begin with. You can't get back to him based upon your merit. You come back to him because the road is paved by grace. So we rejoice. Now check this out. Jesus is not like down with rejoicing in ministry success. Uh, he's not saying that. He's not like, don't rejoice. Y'all quit having joy in your heart. That's not what he's getting at. Because verse 21, Jesus begins rejoicing in what God's doing. So he's rejoicing in ministry. So what is the deal? Look at verse 21. And every time he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Now listen real close because this is just awesome. The first time I read this, I heard Jesus say, don't rejoice in the fact that you have authority over the demons, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Then the next verse, I see Jesus rejoicing. I'm like, Jesus, didn't you just tell them not to rejoice? Uh, then I did a word study, which is total fun. In the original language, the word rejoice in verse uh, 20. You see it there twice. You see the word rejoice twice. It is in the present tense. It speaks of a continual action. But in verse 21, the word rejoice is in the aorist tense. It speaks of an, uh, a snapshot event. So Jesus actually gives us in the text and those missionaries an example on how to rejoice when you do experience ministry success. Snapshot event. But don't allow that to be the source of all of your joy. Allow your relationship with God to be the source. Did y'all get that? That's crazy good. So what Jesus was fired up about, by the way, in his prayer here, is that God was revealing truth to those who were not considered brainiacs in their day. Instead, he was giving the truth of the kingdom authority over to the simple. Why rejoice in this? Listen, here's the reason. Because if those whom the Lord was using were brainiacs by worldly standards, others may have thought they were just really smart. And that through their human wisdom and intellect, they had come up with some way to get to God. But instead, they listened to their message because they were unlearned men who were speaking great, powerful truth about the kingdom with authority even over the demons. So what was said about Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I read it in my quiet time yesterday. The Bible says, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, and they were untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 1 that the world has not come to know God through any wisdom of their own. That is, man, are y'all listening? Say yes. You got to listen. Man did not wisely come up with some action plan to get to God. God came up with the action plan to come to man. It describes as the wisdom of God. It's his plan. God's gospel is based solely on his unchanging character of grace and mercy, not human performance or merit at any level. The only way a person can be saved and the only way a person can even uh, see this truth is if God reveals it to them as they humble their hearts. 
Take a quick look at uh, verse 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. See, it is the, are y'all listening? Say yes. It is the will of the Lord to reveal himself to those who humble themselves and do not count on their own wisdom to get to God. Scripture tells us, humble yourself in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. See, the truth of the kingdom, the truth of salvation is revealed to those who are humble, those who are willing to admit that they are sinners and need salvation. These are the ones whom Jesus wills to reveal the Father to. Those willing to admit that they cannot do ministry without God. These are the ones that God chooses to reveal more truth about the kingdom to. Not big-headed, prideful people. You can't get saved from pride. And you can't be effective in ministry with a big head. (laughs) Y'all look at verse 23. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them. And to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. So Jesus was saying that the prophets of the Old Testament, who by the way were considered prominent individuals in Jewish history. The prophets prophesied of the coming Messiah, Jesus, but they didn't see it. The prophets prophesied of Jesus' ministry, but they didn't hear what he had to preach. And then even the kings, who were considered the greatest in the kingdom, even David himself received the promise from God that through his lineage one would come who would be an eternal king of kings and lord of lords. But David never saw it. But every king after that, they thought, could this be the one? Could this be the one? Could this be the one? And they all failed. But then Jesus came, broke through the darkness by the virgin birth, came as the light, to shine upon men the very reality of who God is. We could not know God. Jesus came and explained him to us. And the reason he was so good at it is because he was God in the flesh. So he came, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected. And if Jesus got it from the dead, that is a stamp of approval on every single thing he ever said. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to God the Father but through me, it's for real. Doesn't matter what Confucius says. Doesn't matter what Buddha says. Doesn't matter what Muhammad or Allah says. And by the way, Allah don't even exist. It's a made-up figment of an imagination. Doesn't matter what Oprah Winfrey thinks. Who thinks, by the way, and the only reason it's on my mind is because I'm reading a book now about, by Ravi Zacharias, and he speaks about Oprah Winfrey a few chapters. And what she has done is said, here's truth up here. So what we'll do is everybody's seeking for truth. So some people call truth Jesus. Some people call truth Muhammad. Some people call truth Buddha. That's all jacked up. Uh Matter of fact, Jesus came. You know what Jesus said? I'll take Jesus' word over Oprah any day. Y'all listen. Jesus goes like this. He says, I am the truth. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) But but here's the deal. Uh, Some of you 
have yet to come to know God through Jesus because you're so stinking prideful. <laughs> you're like, no, I can figure out a way. I'll be all right. No, you won't, man. Unless you come to Jesus, you are not coming. So you have to humble yourself. But when you humble yourself and admit you're a sinner, then God reveals himself to you in the person of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and causes your dead life to come alive to God. That's what happens. And that's a supernatural experience, man. If you haven't experienced that, I'm begging you, humble yourself before the Lord. Because, hey, are are y'all listening? I'm only five minutes over, so y'all listen a little more. What's wild is Jesus was prophesied that he was coming, prophesied that he would die, uh, be resurrected. Would y'all agree all that happened? He also said he's coming again. (laughs) It's like he wasn't joking the first time, he ain't joking the second time. So if we know he's coming, and we know that those who don't know him personally will receive the wrath of God, that it only makes good logical sense that we would warn them. We warn them and they humble themselves, they can be saved. And then we, makes perfect sense now, are y'all listening? We as the church can't get the big head and think we've got a better system to evangelize than how Jesus told us to. So we humble ourselves and we speak the gospel in boldness. Well, what are they going to think about me? That's why you got to humble yourself, bro. When you humble yourself, God reveals uh, truths of his kingdom to you through the word, the spirit of God, and he uses you. Man, that's what I want. That's what I'd love to see for our fellowship. Crazy church. Y'all hear what I'm talking about? I just had the, uh, and I don't know if I'm uh, just mumbling here or adding stuff, but good night. How many fellowships are located in our area? I ain't got a clue what's going on with some churches. No clue. It's like, why do y'all get together? Y'all get together and argue, fuss and fight and act like ridiculous people. You ain't even saved. Get together and get saved, and all of a sudden you'll be like, what did Jesus tell us to do? Oh, make disciples. Oh, go share the gospel all over the world. What were we doing? Uh, Just for free, wouldn't that be crazy? If all of a sudden church is just, I don't know, man. I don't know what you say. I guess wake up, right? And just, we got to humble ourselves, though. All of us got to humble ourselves. It ain't about us. It's about the Lord. It ain't about uh, our kingdom. It's about his kingdom. He's just giving us authority. He said, now go out and share the message. Humble yourself, though, man. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be ragged. Remember, he told him right there. He was like, hey, go, go. But behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Ain't going to be easy, man. You're going to get ragged out. Some of you persecuted. Some of you martyred. <laughs> humble yourself. Hey, listen, y'all look at the preacher. This is just for free right here. I ain't trying to be ugly, but I'll tell you why. Some of you wrote a name down last Sunday, but you did not share the gospel this week. The reason you didn't was because of your pride. So let me just, uh, I preached on a lot of stuff this morning. I only had two points. (laughs) Where's your joy coming from? 
Hey, check this out. I'm, I'm, I'm done, I promise. When we were at uh, <clears throat> the graduation uh, this past week, uh, what's crazy is uh, they put this uh, yearbook together for the graduation. So inside the yearbook, there's pictures of, um, you know, all of the pastors who graduated. And uh, Krista noticed it, my wife, that um, there's only about three or four different shirts and ties. But somebody traveled to all the villages, put a shirt and tie on them, uh, put the uh, cap and gown on them. I think they only had a few of those as well to begin with. And took pictures of all of them who were graduating. And man, we were at the graduation and these people, they were riled up, fired up, man. They, they, they much different than we are. We call it, we come up in church and we sit down and just look at each other. They come up in church, boy, they ain't joking. You know what I'm saying? They get their praise on, they don't even care. They got some kind of crazy dance they're trying to teach us, man. Which I ain't gonna teach you. But anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> But they walked in for graduation. They were clapping their hands. They were shouting, man. They were screaming. They were joy. The tears were flowing. Family members, patients packed the capacity. People standing outside looking through the little thatch windows. All just to experience that. And then the great uh, opportunity came for me to, to get up and preach the uh, commencement at the graduation. And I showed them all this because they hadn't seen it yet. And boy, they were so fired up. And then uh, Luke 10 came to mind. Rejoice, snapshot event that you've graduated a training school. But keep on rejoicing that your name is not written only in a graduation book, but it's written in heaven. That's where your joy's at, bro. Now here's the deal, some of y'all are in church. Your name ain't written. Well, when I get there, I'll plead my case. You ain't got no case, except you're guilty. That's your case. And that's the thing too, man. Just for free, like the book of Romans says, the law of God's going to shut your mouth. So it's like, I'll get up there and I'll tell God, I'll be all right. Well, you'll get up there and God will be like, here's your sin, here's your sin. And all of a sudden, your mouth will just be closed. Shut up. Ain't nothing you can say about that, man. Condemned. But this morning, check it out, check it out. From heaven's throne, grace is still flowing. And you can still get under the grace. While there's time, you can still get under it. Be saved, cleansed, forgiven. Name written in the book of life. And then like uh, back here in Revelation 20, where it talks about uh, stand up there, look in the names. There's your name. <laughs> hey, listen, some of your pride right now is holding you back. But the reality is you're going to get up there and you're going to be like, man, I hope my name's in that book. I hope my name's... Uh, Sir, I don't see your name here. Matter of fact, I got these other books over here. Let me open them up. Oh, here's all the sin you've ever committed. Every word, every thought, every deed. Why did you hang on to all these sins? Why did you reject Jesus? Why did you resist the Holy Spirit's call upon your life? You're condemned to die. Depart from me. I never knew you. Man. The only way you can be saved is to humble yourself and say, I'm a sinner. The only way you can be used in ministry is to humble yourself and say, I cannot do this without God. That's where it's at. Let's bow. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts.